Uh, one thing that I kind of learned pretty quickly uh, in life was how uh, there's so many different opinions and ideas about who God is. You know, it seemed like the more I talked to people when I was growing up, people had all these assumptions. And then uh, when I became a pastor, one thing that I learned really quickly too was that the way that people have these previous experiences can really shape the way that they view God. Um, for example, I've met people who, you know, their father, their earthly father was, you know, maybe an absent dad. And so therefore they kind of approach their relationship with God through this assumption that God kind of acts like an absent absent dad, and he's not always there when you need him. Um, or there's just all these just different, I guess, opinions about, about God. And um, I found that a lot of people are asking that question that maybe don't have a church background at all, or maybe they do have a church background, but they haven't really thought through what the Bible teaches about, about God. And it's interesting, in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about one of the things that he was called to do was to tear down these strongholds of ideas that were not true about God. That's one of the things that he was, was doing is he was there to like say, hey, the things you've heard about this, this God or this creator out there are not true. And so I, I found that that's one of the most common questions that people have. Um, you know, people have a hundred assumptions about who God is, and they have opinions about what God is like, and unfortunately, many of those assumptions are wrong. And there's two that I tend to hear more often than or not when I'm having coffee with somebody, and the first thing I oftentimes hear is that God is angry. You know, it's like, oh man, he's just angry. And part of it is because there are some church traditions where if you had to ask what's the primary characteristic that they highlight their whole entire church identity on. It's this idea that God is angry. And he is a vengeful God who is just, just super excited about sending everybody to hell. And I mean, we laugh maybe, but there's a lot of people that think that. Some of you in this room might even actually function your lives with this assumption. And then the other, the other assumption that a lot of people make is that God is a cosmic killjoy. He just does not like you to be happy. In fact, any sign of happiness or joy instantaneously gets on his radar and he can't wait to end your joy and your happiness. And, and these, these ideas about God being angry or this cosmic killjoy, they, they shape the world we live in and they shape a lot of people in the church even. But the question is, is this true? Is it true that God is always angry and is it true that God is a cosmic killjoy? Those are the questions I want to kind of think about for a minute. But, but really it gets down to like, how can we actually know what God is like? How can we actually uh, know the characteristics and the qualities and the actions and the overall, overall orientation or perspective that God has? And I think the answer to that question is found in one word, Jesus. And, you know, so the question then becomes, is Jesus, an angry cosmic killjoy. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. In the book of Hebrews, we read, we read these words in Hebrews 1.9. The writer says, Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, and it's speaking about Jesus, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. Other translations will say that, that Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness. 
more than anybody else. But the point being is that if you look at this passage of Scripture, it's safe to say that Jesus was the most joyful person to ever walk the face of the earth. Totally different than the angry cosmic killjoy that many of us have in the back of our mind. So what is God like? Jesus reveals to us what God is like. And rather than being this angry cosmic killjoy, Jesus was full of love and joy, mercy and compassion, patience and forgiveness. Those are the the characteristics that he was primarily known for. And what I want to do for a moment here is I want to pray, and then we're going to lean back into Luke chapter 2, which is the story of Jesus' birth, which we read last week. But before we do that, let's pray. Um, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have been present with us this entire time. We thank you that we have this dynamic relationship with you, that we don't pray to some distant, passive Um, angry, cosmic, killjoy God, but that we have somebody who loves us, who is is for us, who uh, desires us to be healed and whole and put back together again. And so we ask right now, Lord, for your spirit to, to highlight the themes and the truths that we read in Scripture now. And that, Lord, we would not be, as James says, Uh, just a hearer of your word, but we would be doers of the word. That these truths would would become so foundational to who we are that it would impact the way that we live our lives and that we engage with other human beings. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people who agreed said amen. Amen. So look with me in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. We already read this last week, but we were looking at the theme of peace. And and this is what we want to read here. We read, that night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel of the Lord reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good good news, not noise, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So last week, like I was saying, uh, Terry Rapley just shared a fantastic message. Uh, it was excellent about how Jesus' coming brought peace uh, to our world. And, and, and we were kind of hearing about how the peace that Jesus brings is holistic. It's, it's peace that um, affects all of us. It's, it, can, it can be emotional peace. It can be mental peace. It can be salvific peace, you know, of, of salvation. It can actually help um, us, you know, reorient the way that we engage with other human beings. And this week, I want us to see that not only did Jesus bring hope and peace, as we've read, Jesus' birth brought true and lasting joy to the world. And and look with me here, Luke 2, verse 10, this, this phrase right here, don't be afraid, the angel said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. And it's interesting because there's this contrast between fear. And I got to tell you, um, I think when we read the Bible sometimes, we have this 
ability or a capacity to where we like kind of we like numb it down a little bit and we we make it you know where it's less as maybe awestruck or powerful but I just want to go on record as saying is that if I was in the fields with other co-workers shepherds and a huge massive amount of angels popped on the scene I would totally pee my pants I <laughs> I'm just going to say it. I, maybe that's disgusting. It probably is, but I would. I would be out of my mind afraid because that's not a normal occurrence for me. Some of you maybe have angelic visitations every morning. I don't, right? I mean, I would be overwhelmed with fear because right in front of me would be this heavenly host. And, and when I see the, the army of the angel of the Lord or the angel of the Lord, it would be overwhelming to me. And I can understand why their first emotion would be fear. It makes sense. I mean, anytime I've had any interaction with something that's mysterious or, you know, I don't understand, generally speaking, the first feeling is fear. That's just my natural inclination. And I think that's probably pretty common for most, most humans. But did you catch what we read there? Not fear but joy. But what exactly is joy? I mean, that's what I've been reflecting on this week because I don't think it's sufficient to call joy the same thing as our American version of happiness. And the reason why is because happiness seems to be more of a surface, uh, a surface feeling, one that is uh, fleeting and it ebbs and flows with the times. And that's why we go through these moments where we feel really happy and, you know, and then the next minute we're really sad or it just doesn't seem like it's really a good word to help us understand the type of joy that we, we are thinking about this Advent. Biblical joy, I think, is something that goes a little bit deeper. In fact, it's lasting and it's a deep-seated emotion that is rooted in something. And joy is rooted in the knowledge of who Jesus is what Jesus has done, and how we have a relationship with him. This is the way that one theologian um, kind of explains joy for us this morning. I want to read this quote because I think it's really helpful for us to think about understanding joy. Because what I'm arguing this morning is that we all, as followers of Jesus, should be more known for our joy than any other characteristic. This is what this theologian uh, Morris writes. He says, the basics... The basis of Christian joy lies in the main theological doctrines of the faith. So what are the main theological doctrines of the Christian faith? The fatherhood of God and the forgiveness of sins. The incarnation. The incarnation is what we're talking about here. The incarnation is the idea that God became incarnate, became flesh, became human being in Jesus. It also includes the atonement, which is... Um, this theologian's way of describing the death of Jesus, which pays the penalty for our sins, making peace with God. The resurrection of Christ and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Christians rejoice because, because God is their heavenly Father who forgives the penitent because God sent his Son into the world for the salvation of all who have faith. Because Jesus Christ not only died, but was raised again from the dead. And because joy is one of the ninefold fruits of the Spirit. Such are the firm theological foundations of Christian joy. And I want to go on record as saying there is literally no Christian denomination out there 
that disagrees with anything we just read. All followers of Jesus agree that these are the, the basis for why we should be known for our, our joy. But why such deep lasting joy? Why should Christians be known for their joy? Uh, that's kind of the question I've been kind of reflecting on, especially in this passage in Luke 2. Uh, I, I think that there's something here that maybe we miss when we don't read it in its cultural context, though, because if you look back in Luke chapter 2, you'll see that the recipients of this angelic announcement of joy are the shepherds. And uh, shepherds in our world are sweet. They're cool, right? I mean, like when I think about a cool job, in fact, when I think about what the Bible teaches about shepherds, I always think about two people. I think of David we remember that David was a shepherd, right? And when I was growing up and I'd hear all these different sermons, my conception of David was that he was out in those green pastures. He was sitting there and the sheep never, ever gave him any trouble. This is prior to me working with sheep. I want to be very clear about that. But uh, I, I was like, oh, he's just chilling, sitting there, and he's just writing these poems, you know, just writing these psalms and these love, love worship songs to God. And that's my, that was my first conception of, of a shepherd. And, and then I always think about Jesus, who is the good shepherd, right? Jesus is this great shepherd who, who loves his, his sheep, and he's guarding the flock, and he's leading them, and he's loving on them. And those are two conceptions of shepherds that are very common, and they are true. But in the first century, when, actually this is even prior to the first century, this is the very end of the, of the before Christ era of history, when Jesus was born, shepherds were not uh, the, the respectable vocation that we think of. In fact, most of the shepherds in the time that Jesus was born were considered to be on the lower end of the social spectrum. In fact, um, most of them were criminals. If you couldn't get a job anywhere, guess what you did? You became a shepherd. They were looked down at, upon in society. In fact, they were like the, the poor, the poor and the, and the, the criminals. And, and, and this is what I think is so beautiful about this story is that salvation announced by the angelic host is available to even the shepherds. Even the shepherds are able to experience joy. Jesus had come for them. In the Gospels, we see, in the Gospel of Matthew, we see that Jesus comes and the Magi go and visit him. And the Magi represent the upper echelons of society. They were the influential, the elite, the rich. And in the Gospel of Luke, we see that Jesus also came for the shepherds who were on the low end of the social spectrum. And we find that everyone is redeemable, both the rich and the poor both those who are criminals and those who are self-righteous. And that's the beautiful news of the, of the gospel story that we have here. And, and I think that's important to, to flesh this out about, about joy. And the beauty of it is that we have joy because we were once lost, but we are now found. Amen? A few years ago, this is actually quite a long time ago now, I think it was like 2010 maybe, uh, I was in uh, the country of Kenya, and we were there doing these like um, open air preaching, crusades, and things like that. And in like one of these places I had an opportunity to preach at, there was thirty thousand people in this in this uh, field. And I got done, and I and 
I learned quickly that in the Kenyan culture, which is I think real similar to most cultures, like telling the stories of Jesus were really captivating. And, and I told this story that's found in John 7 and 8 where, where this woman is caught in adultery and then she's brought to Jesus. And the Pharisees are like, oh yeah, we're going to be able to ca- finally catch him. We're going to trick him. And they, they basically say to Jesus, they say, hey, this woman was caught in adultery. What should we do? And they're like, man, he is in a rock, between a rock and a hard place because no matter what he says, somebody's going to be upset. People are going to say he's too legalistic if, we, if he condemns her. And then people are going to say that he's too licentious and doesn't care about holiness if he doesn't. And in the gospel of John, we read that Jesus kneels down, he draws in the sand, and then he looks up and says, you who are without a sin, cast the first stone. And it's one of the most beautiful stories in the Gospels, right? Like everybody loves that story because they're like, yeah, Jesus loves sinners. And he also is able to jack up self-righteous Pharisees, right? And we get all pumped up about that. So I tell that story. And, and after I got telling the story about, I was just telling stories about Jesus at, at this crusade. There's like 30,000 people. I mean, it's, it was literally just people for as far as I could see. My friend who I had gone over there to do ministry with gets up and he does an altar call. And he shares, um, he's, he basically, with, his name was Ben Bahadi, and Ben says every single time he preached ever, there was two types of people. It did not matter what the sermon was about. It was like there's two types of people, those who receive Jesus and those who reject Jesus. And now that I think about it, there are two types of people, those who receive Jesus and those who reject Jesus. And he gives this opportunity for people to receive the gospel and like, thousands of people are running forward. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. And so I'm, I'm like, all right, well, we, we're going to go down here and start praying for people. And I go down with my friend, Chris. And we walk up to this guy and there was this young Kenyan man who was sobbing uncontrollably. I mean, just tears just pouring out of his face. And he's just saying, I am, I'm a sinner. And he's telling us all these things that he's that he's done, and he was going on and on and on, and just so much conviction. And I remember when it was happening, like I wanted to, like you know, I was started like you know pat his back, <laughs> and like before I could say, you know, hey man, it's okay, you're gonna be okay, it's not that bad. My friend Chris says, yeah, it's actually way worse. You're not even aware of the sins that you've committed that you don't even know about, and and he's like. <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, it's, man, there's sins that you don't even know you've done that have been offensive to God. And the guy's like, I know, tears crying. And it was kind of overwhelming at the moment because it was the opposite direction of what I was feeling, but he was, he was right. We're not even aware of all the ways that we, we miss the mark. We, we cannot even be aware of all the different things that we do or the attitudes we have or the things that we say or the ways that we interact with people or the way that some of you drive that you think is okay, right? We're not even aware of all those different things that we do that miss the mark. And yet, even though we all are sinners, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as Paul says, even though we're all broken, hot messes, Jesus still came to extend salvation to us. And that is why we should be marked by joy. That is why we should be known for being joyful people, because we know who we belong to. We know who we belong to. 
And so in, in Hebrews 12, this is interesting. I, I found this really fascinating verse in Hebrews chapter 12 where we read that Jesus was born and faced death on the cross for a certain reason. He did it for the joy that was set before him. Okay, and in fact, look at this. Because of the joy awaiting him, Jesus endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God, God's throne. And so Jesus knew that joy awaited him, and that is why he was willing to come and to live on this earth and to go through all the things that you and I have to go through as human beings even to the point of then being sentenced as an innocent man, crucified and murdered. And he did all of that for the joy that was set before him because he knew one day he would actually have peace and relationship with his people. So really quickly, I want to share just kind of even a summary of the three reasons to keep Advent joy 365 days a year. I think joy should be with us at all times. The first reason is because we have salvation, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, that is true of you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you have not made that decision to follow Jesus, here's the good news. This can be true for you today. It can be true for you right now. If you, in your, in your heart, you, re, you turn from your sins, repent of your sins, and you accept and receive Christ as your Savior. But he We have it. We have salvation. For the joy that was set before Jesus, he came to give us salvation. The next thing is we have a new family. I think that's one of the things that I've I've seen more and more as I see scripture is that God does not restore us to be isolationist individuals. He restores us into a community that is supposed to function like a family. We're part of a community. And so if you're a part of our church, you belong here. And we want you to be a part of our church community. And then finally, we have the Holy Spirit. All followers of Jesus are given the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. There are no superstar Christians in the church who some have the Holy Spirit because they can do certain spiritual gifts and others don't. The good news, what the Bible teaches, is that all of us have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And for these three reasons... 365 days a year, we should be full of joy. Let's stand. In a moment, we're going we're gonna to pray. But here's what I want to just say to everybody in this room. If you struggle with depression or anxiety or hurts or pains if you've suffered loss, or if you feel lonely and alone, if you have a tendency to be isolated, if you have any of these, these things going on, or if you're a slave to addictions, or you know there's certain habits that are, are in control of your actions, the only way to have long-term sustainable joy that can free you from those things is Jesus, okay? There is, I mean, I really, I've tried it all, seen it all. There's nothing else that can can bring healing to those areas than Jesus. So the ongoing life-giving connected life of abiding in Jesus, that's what we're talking about, being connected to the vine or remaining, remaining steadfast is really important. And here's what I've 
I've seen in my life a lot is I've seen people who start going through these difficult trials and tribulations and pains and sorrows. And then what they do is they, oh, I got to get reconnected to Jesus. And then they'll come back to church and they get, they get connected and they're in the front row even maybe, raising their hands and getting all excited. And then God begins to do work in their life and they reconnect and they start to like change some decision-making things they've been doing where they stop doing stupid stuff and they start doing wise stuff. And then life starts to go pretty good. And then they decide that they don't really need God anymore. And then they back up. And then guess where they end up at? They get back into that, that, that like, that like, problem, the cyclical pattern. And then what happens after about six months to a year, they show up on a Sunday trying to reconnect with God. Everything is going good. Raising their hands, singing all the songs, saying all the prayers, going to a small group. Then after a while, they get like a little distant again, and then they, they stop coming, and then they start doing stupid things again. And that's the cyclical pattern of unhealthy, non-Jesus-centered spirituality. And what I'm telling you is that what the Bible calls us to is that we're called to like actually remain connected to Jesus at all times. And that's the only way that we can have a sustainable sense of joy because we're constantly being reminded about the salvation that Jesus gives. Amen? And so that's the connected life. And that's what we're called to live. Okay? So in a moment, we're going to pray now. And so I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes if that would help you just to hear from the Lord for a moment. Jesus, thank you for being with us during our service today, being with us through our weekly, weekly adventures, um, sustaining us throughout our days. Um, I feel like there are people in this room that are afraid to get out of their own way. That your title, your place, your own personal idea of who you are is actually standing in your way of your growth with Jesus. Um, and if that resonates with you, you're not alone. That's part of the walk. They say that we're uh, babies on our journey in the beginning. Um, we, we drink from the milk of Jesus before we can eat the bread and the meat. And the baby steps... Sometimes when we fall, we just got to reach out to the person next to us who might be a little bit stronger, a little bit further along in their journey. And I encourage you to find, to find that person for yourself. Find that, find that partner. Find that um, inspirational person to help guide you on your path. But I, I, I do want to pray. Um, Jesus, I just, I ask that... For those of us who stand in our own way, those of us who are too afraid to shed the skin that the, the world has given us, our titles, God, I just ask that you help us uh, 
just flourish, blossom into the the person that you want us to be, God. Um, help us grow in our spirit. Um, Jesus, give us hope and strength and everlasting joy. Um, we are children of God, and as children, joy is contagious. When you see a child laughing, enjoying their time, you can't help but put a smile on your face. God, I just ask that you continue to to spread the joy through our community, through um, believers and non-believers. Um, let our joy leak into areas of lives that um, we wouldn't necessarily in invite you in. God, just help us open those doors. Help us open those avenues.